We are live with Scott Johnson, and we're going to wait a bit to see if people hop on, but yeah. Yeah. So are you in New Providence right now, or your background looks very LLNP-ish? It's very retreat-ish. Oh, snap. The retreat. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. definitely there a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, man, definitely. I love being at the retreat. It's just such a a beautiful green space in the middle of an urban city, oh, right? Like it's an absolutely wonderful green space. And I can't uh I can't express how much I I miss this place here being like the the head office like how it once was. I enjoy just like you know like when you get when you just want to just go for a walk and clear your head sometimes you could just walk through the gardens and yeah and do that. But yeah. But yeah, this is a wonderful green space in like a very densely populated part of the island and currently doing research on um, birds in this national park. And so I was here today setting up nets so that we could start getting in the banding process of banding birds and stuff like that in these national parks and learn more about them. And then we're going to do other bigger things such as uh, look at endemics on other family islands, band them and hopefully put some radio transmitters on them. So this is a start. This is a start project. This is the start of a, of a much bigger project, which I hope will happen soon. Now, I'm about to hold you up right there. Mm -hmm. I want to learn to band a bird. Can we talk about this? Like, I definitely, <laughs> definitely, if you need help, I am fungible enough to learn. Because mm -hmm. I remember you told me you can't just hold a bird by like it's at the bottom of its foot. Like you, people never notice that birds actually have more like up yeah. under the body. Like they have yeah. knees, they have yeah. knees. Yeah. So the parts that you're holding would be um, the drumsticks of the bird basically. And then you have the, the long ankle bone called the tibiotarsis. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where people normally see when they see a bird hopping on the floor. They don't really see the, the full leg, like the femur, because the femur is basically immovable on the bird. So they're just seeing the, yeah. the leg and the tibiotarsis. So when you hold the bird, you got to hold it above the tibiotarsis so that you don't injure the bird. But yeah, I can show you, I can show you how to handle a bird, um, even ways in which you can help identify um, a male from a female. And it's just a wonderful experience to have a bird in the hand. Right. To say that you actually, I'm holding this bird that I'm always seeing mm -hmm. is one thing, right? I mean, to see a bird is one thing, but to have it in your hand, Mm -hmm. is another so yeah. yeah i'm trying to hold a white crown pigeon like i be identifying them like crazy now because i'm like i know what this looks like and green herons i'm like i love when i can actually say <laughs> what the bird is and mm -hmm. the other day when i went low-key birding with like dr Antelino davis lino i was uh -huh. like oh my gosh look at this little i think it was a kestrel i was like i know what that looks like now you know and excellent excellent right Right. So we are three minutes in and I know we're here to talk about something else. I know the sun behind you is glaring just a little bit in the camera. Yeah, let me let me turn around, get out of the, the sun. Sure. Definitely. So thank you for everyone who's signed in so far. We have a couple of viewers watching. Yes, Miss Jasmine Rain. I want to hold a bird too. I think this is a future episode, guys. Like I've already in, been inspired to do an episode on how to hold a bird and how to tag a bird. So hopefully Scott will indulge me in a few months on that. Oh, yeah, I'll indulge you. I'll indulge you. Every, <laughs> every month, as long as I'm not really traveling and doing something else, I'm normally in the, um, I'm normally in the retreat or primeval. 
And so whenever you want, uh, um, when we have time, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we are going to try and catch some birds. Let's see what's what. I am here for it. I'm going to go find someone with a camera and be like, record me holding this bird. Like, <laughs> so welcome everyone to Siren Sundays season three, episode four with the Bahamian naturalist, founder and creator of Wild Bahamas on Facebook. So definitely follow that page. Mr. Scott Johnson, who is here to talk to us about wildlife trafficking and CITES. So Scott, tell the people who you are, a little bit about yourself, some of the work you've done, what what even got you interested in like herbs, birds, and plants, like all things terrestrial, really? Okay, so hi everybody. Once again, I'm Scott Johnson. Um, I am the Bahamian naturalist, and I am the creator of Wild Bahamas, as Lashanti so eloquently said. Um, I'm also a science officer at the Bahamas National Trust. Um, my job is uh, um, I deal with the with avian and terrestrial matters that pertain to the national park system of the Bahamas. Um, I assist with research. I take people out on tours. I help with uh, trainings and workshops and those kind of things. Um, and I do a lot of research in the national parks with my colleagues. I have an amazing set of science colleagues who are doing some fantastic work. And this is a very busy year. And so it's good to be a part of a great, wonderful team such as the NTN, the science, uh, the science, the science team. What got me into wildlife? Well. I would say, I guess, I've always been interested in animals. Dinosaurs probably was the is the best answer. I love dinosaurs. When I say <laughs> I love, I love dinosaurs. I I enjoyed everything about it. I wanted to actually be a paleontologist, but oh, it wow. was turn. It turns out that dinosaurs didn't really exist in the Bahamas, <laughs> and so that kind of kind of saddened me a little bit, but. Um, there's still a lot of really cool animals, so I continue to nurture that passion for dinosaurs and wildlife and then finding out, hey, birds, they're also dinosaurs. So exactly. Say it again. Exactly. are dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that I just nurtured that, that passion for wildlife and the outdoors. I am not a water person, so okay. I'm sorry. That's just how the ball rolls sometimes. I love terrestrial fauna. I love the animals that people do not like. So nice five inch long tarantulas, love those guys. I love eight foot Bahamian boas. I love Bahamian racers. I love centipedes. I love all of those cool, you know, cool, quote, disgusting animals. And so- They're all great. <laughs> Oh, you had me at centipede. Oh my gosh, Scott. Oh yeah. I I remember just at work because I went to Kingsway Academy as a kid. Hey. And so go Saints, right? Um yeah. graduated from LW Young, so go Golden Eagles. Um, <laughs> but as a kid, I used to bring these animals to school. And that type of thing also continued to nurture my passion for Bahamian wildlife. And so yeah, it is now I get to actually work in the field that I am really interested in, and that is Bahamian wildlife. Oh, see, that is great. I think it's so amazing when I hear people like you who've just been passionate about things from their very, very young age, and you're able to kind of grow into that. And I know a couple episodes ago, I spoke with Eric, and we literally kept highlighting you because people like you are so important for the youth of the Bahamas to see 
right? Someone who was actually into the weird, creepy crawlies and into these like modern day dinosaurs, right? Like birds and reptiles and actually show that you can make, you can make your career out of that. Like this can be your life. Like this can be what you do for work every single day, because this is something you are passionate about. This is something that you love doing. So I, I listen, Scott, because I knew about Scott from even before I worked with him and even after, and this is, I'm excited for this episode. Mm -hmm. So our topic today, of course, is the wildlife trafficking in the Bahamas, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a complex issue. I think every time I've brought up wildlife trafficking with just, you know, I guess the, the typical Bahamian who's not in conservation in the environmental field, they're mm -hmm. like, we have those issues like what, what kind of wildlife do we have right that people would want to traffic so can you talk about that what is what does wildlife trafficking mean for the bahamas and what are some of the major issues that we face in that all right so first of all we have to understand that uh, the bahamas is part of the west indian region i'm sure everybody should know that already mm -hmm. and what they may not know is that the West Indies is one of 34, 36 biodiversity hotspots. Um, the West Indies has thousands of unique plants and animals that are found nowhere else on earth. And that uniqueness makes us sadly a target because there are persons out there who love the uniqueness of our animals. They love the uniqueness of our plants and they are willing to take the risk to come to the Bahamas, come to uh, the, the Cuba and other parts of the West Indies to try and grab a very unique species of animal um, for many, many reasons. One of them just being bragging rights to say, hey, I have this very cool iguana that's found only here and what makes things even more special is that this animal is critically endangered. There's only a few of them left and I have one of them. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to brag about that. And we do see this on, um, on web pages, on, on social media and stuff like that, where people, they have these iguanas and they're showing them off and we're like, how did you get this? How do you get one of them? Yeah. Well, and, hmm. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that we have to, um, that we are concerned about, we being um, Bahamian government, Bahamas National Trust, and others. We don't want people coming here and taking our stuff. We don't want them doing things that are not properly documented. And unfortunately, stuff like that is happening. Yeah. Um, I think, unfortunately, one of the biggest issues with the whole wildlife trafficking thing in this country is, one, it was not considered a major priority um to really focus on i mean if you had to choose between saving some iguanas and you find uh a hundred thousand dollars worth of cocaine or whatever guess what the authorities are going to be going for but what people don't realize is that a lot of the same avenues that wildlife traffickers um are moving through are the same um avenues that the other uh um, drug trafficking and and weapons trafficking and even um, sex trafficking, human trafficking, they are going along the same avenues. And so um, by helping with that, you can actually cut the head off of a major industry that um, is a very, a very big problem. And one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest uh, problem threats to our biodiversity. 
Yeah, and I know earlier in your um, talk just now, you mentioned biodiversity hotspots. So for people who may not be aware, can you just briefly explain what is it and what is it for us as a Bahamian country or as the Bahamas to be a biodiversity hotspot? What is that? To be a biodiversity hotspot means that you have a, your region has a level of the amount of different plants and animals, the unique plants and animals that we have here is, has reached a level where, um, and the high level of endemism is, is really, really rich, really high. And so that makes, that makes your region extremely special. Yeah. There are other places around the world that have animals and plants and stuff like that, but yours have a high diversity of unique plants and animals. And the Bahamas, Right. It's just a small part of this big picture called the West Indian region. But we have mm -hmm. some of those very cool animals. Okay. So we have mm -hmm. lizards that you'll find nowhere else. We have snakes that you'll find nowhere else. We have birds you'll find nowhere else. We have endemic plants you can find nowhere else. We even have little tardigrades, which are these tiny extremophile little organisms. Um, some of y'all may have heard about those guys, mm -hmm. but we have a few endemic species of tardigrades that you could find um, throughout yeah. the Bahamas. And so um, being rich in biodiversity makes us exceptional, um, makes our region exceptional on the world stage. Yeah, because I even, I always think back to when I was um, still at Bahamas National Trust and it was Shelly, Director of Science and Policy, who was like, yeah, they just discovered a new species of beetle on San Salvador and I was like, who is studying beetles? <laughs> How did you get to San Salvador? And and I always hear that, right? Like the Bahamas, and personally, I've heard it said by other people, and I will continue to say it because I think it's great. We are almost kind of like the next Galapagos. Like when Darwin went and found like all these different, you know, um, finches, I think it was, we have the potential to still be like that. We are so untapped. I mean, you know, we recently found those hybrid seahorses only found here. But in talking about these like endemic species, which are species only found here, we have endangered ones that are only found here. And, and that's where CITES kind of comes into play. So can you briefly talk about what is CITES and how is CITES connected to the wildlife trafficking industry that we have prevalent in our world today? Well, so because wildlife trafficking is such a very, such a big problem, you had, um, you had countries and organizations, they wanted to find ways in which they can help to combat that. That's a multi-billion dollar industry. And you don't want anything that, you don't want nothing like that happening, which can jeopardize a whole species and cause them to go extinct. And so this is where CITES comes in. CITES stands for the Convention of International Trade of, Enda of Endangered Species of Fauna and Flora. And uh, it helps to regulate the, um, the import and export of species to help mitigate against them going um, extinct or becoming endangered in the wild. And so you have some species that are um, play and um, a lot of these animals are placed in different categories called appendices. And so you have the appendix one, the CITES appendix one, that's like the rare of the rare endangered, critically endangered ones. And a good example of that would be our Bohemian rocky guanas and our silver boas. Those are appendix one species. And then you have appendix two, which is they they are they can be threatened with um, the uh, selling and the capture of wild specimens and stuff like that. So uh, appendix two species would be something like our tropes or pygmy boas and our Bahamian uh, Bahamian boas. 
Okay. And then you have Appendix 3, Appendix 4, et cetera, et cetera. But basically it helps to, um, it's documentation that, that a person who wants to import or export a, a organism that they must have. And those animals, we have to know about the status of those animals. So it's a lot of research that goes involved, that's involved with that. Um, and committees that are involved to help us to determine, well, yeah, you could import or export these animals. No, you cannot import or export these animals. Right. So I guess I tried to summarize that in as simple as I could, but I hope that works. Yeah, you did. You did great. Listen, and I know that you've actually, you've had your own experience, right? Dealing with iguanas that were trafficked from the Bahamas all the way to the UK, which I just came back from. So even just doing that flight, it blows my mind, right? Yeah. To think about iguanas that were carried from one of the Bahamian islands all the way to the UK. So what you can share, if you can please just share, like what was your experience in finding that out, dealing with that situation and bringing our iguanas back home, really? Yeah, so um, before I jump into that, there's of just course. a couple of things that uh, I would like to mention. And that is that, there are a lot of people who are coming to the Bahamas and the West Indies. They love our country. They love everything about us, our food, our animals, our sun, sand, and sea, whatever. But then you have that small group of people who aren't coming here really to enjoy all of those things. They're coming here to assess things. They're coming here to assess the security of our wildlife. They're coming here to assess where these animals are. Um, they're coming here to look at all of the weaknesses the country may have so that they can relay that information to key buyers in different countries. And then once that information um, comes in, they may wait a few months, they may even wait a couple of years, but they are coming back here to go ahead and move forward with their plans. And uh, that's, I guess that's one of the ways in which so much of our animals have been smuggled out of the country in the 70s. Bahamian boas, I know Bahamians don't like Bahamian boas. They like to talk about snakes. They don't really like to talk about snakes. I don't, I don't believe that. I think Bahamians do like snakes because they're so interesting. <laughs> um, cool, they are right. Yeah. But um, in the 70s, hundreds of Bahamian boas were smuggled out of the country. And as recently as 2001, um, a dentist, <laughs> tried to smuggle three Bahamian boas out of Andrus. Yeah. Oh, snap. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the whole 20, uh, 2014 situation um, with the uh, with the Rocky Guanas. So right. in February, sort of how the story goes, if I can relay it so somewhat properly. In February yeah. of 20, uh, 2014, the UK border force um, at Heathrow Airport they were inspecting some luggage that were from two Romanian women mm -hmm. um, who recently came from um, uh, a trip from the Bahamas. Um, as they were inspecting the luggage, they noticed some iguanas were in the luggage. 13 of them actually right. stuffed in socks. So naturally the women were apprehended and also those iguanas um, were believed to be San Salvador rock iguana, cyclora cyclora. I mean, Cyclora Rileyi, and so they they um, they were caught. They were um, the the lizard the iguanas were apprehended, and then the 
um, officials at the airport and others, they consult, they talk with the Bahamian government because these were CITES appendix one species. And so people wanted to know, so they wanted to know, okay, um, Bahamians, Bahamian government, do you want these guys back? And we were like, uh, yeah, we want this back. Of course we want them back. <laughs> yeah, we want our iguanas back. And so um, after a few months of negotiations, the iguanas came back to the Bahamas. And I we have to give credit to the Bahamian government for really working hard to go and bring our animals back home. Um, they didn't go directly back to their home island because there's still a lot of stuff that we had to figure out. And so um, those iguanas were sent they were they they came back to Nassau and then they went to San Salvador where the Drace Research Center they had set up some um, some cages for them to be in quarantine for a while. Um, unfortunately, during that whole process, they started off with thirteen iguanas. At the end, nine survived. So we lost four four um, four very unique iguanas. And um, it turns out that those iguanas were not from San Salvador, but they were from a key in Exuma called Sandy Key. And how do they know that? It's because the US border force, they were going to put pit tags in those iguanas, but then they realized that those iguanas already had pit tags in them. You know, pit tags just so that they could ID that this animal came from what come from, came from this place, et cetera. But it turns out these animals did have pit tags in them and they was able to determine that these guys did come in from, um, these guys were smuggled from Sandy Key. And so, um, the Bahamas National Trust and the uh, uh, Ministry of Environment and stuff like that, they went ahead and they started looking for areas where they can put that this this population. And uh, Sandy Buckner, who played a pivotal role in um, helping with this whole, uh, this whole project, mm -hmm. um, she um, had originally uh, visited a key called Pigeon Key in the Exumas. Um, a few decades ago, and then um, some BNT staff like Lindy Knowles and uh, um, Ethan Freed and a couple others, they went to the key to do some some uh, ground truthing. They said, yeah, this, this place would be good for these animals to go. And so these animals went to um, Pigeon King and that's where they are now. So you had eight males and one female. It's kind of a skewed amount of iguanas. So what they did, um, was they went back and they collected, they went to Sandy Key and they um, wanted to bring a few more iguanas there just so that they could have another established population um, of iguanas there and so for, for assistance with breeding purposes. Right. Those guys then um, went to uh, Pigeon Key and so far they're doing pretty good. Well, that's nice to hear. I mean, and if I can ask, you know, I think you were able to go and actually bring them back, correct? Yeah, Please. that was that was the fun that's part. Fun I was, fact. I was, it was me and Sandy and Philip Weish, and uh, I think there was a couple other persons. I'm sorry if I'm forgetting names, um, but this was this was like seven years ago. Sorry, brain <laughs> um, But <laughs> Uh, we went and we got some uh, measurements of those iguanas at Instant Salvador. Then we traveled to Pigeon uh, Key where we released those guys. And I must admit, the uh, subspecies like Chlororhylii cristata, which those iguanas were, mm -hmm. they are some of the most beautiful iguanas on earth. And I'm going to say it again. They are some of the most beautiful rock iguanas on earth. 
If you say the scientific name again, you will, you will be like, wow, you guys are gorgeous. And they're very small. They're small. They're small iguanas. Right. And, and that's so, Sarah Riley I Krista, you said? Cristada. Krista, you know, boy, you know, I suck with these Latin words. <laughs> so, okay. So, Clara Riley I Cristada. Uh -huh. The most beautiful iguanas in the world. You heard it here first. My, personal, my personal belief is, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The Andrus Rock Iguana is, is also a nice looking animal. But when yeah. I saw the, the San Salvador Rock Iguana subspecies, I was like, mm -hmm. wow. This is a very pretty animal. And that's with the orange, because I think I've, I've seen on Loki though. Orange, got some blue. It, look, it looks like got some blue. It almost has like this yeah. coralish, like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, just can't explain it. They just are gorgeous animals. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I will agree. I will agree. I think I've definitely seen some in San Salvador in that same orangey color. And I was just blown away. By, and I'm granted, I'm a little, I'm going to be so honest with everyone and yourself. And you already know how I am with reptiles. Like S Scott is the one who got a snake on me. Him and Shannon was the one who put a snake on me for the first time. And, mm -hmm. and it's amazing how until you see them in real life and you interact with them and you appreciate, right. you know, these animals for what they are, you really start to see their beauty. And, and seeing one of those iguanas in San Salvador for the first time, I was just astonished. They are so beautiful, like majestic even, and just and just watching them sunbathe. It's just, oh man, I see why you love reptiles and your little modern day dinosaurs because <laughs> it's something it's something important to be proud of, you know, as well as a Bahamian. Like this is something so special and so unique to us. So true, shout true out to you. Bahamians, okay? True, true Bahamians true, are these true Bahamians. These animals have been here long before us. And if it, if it wasn't for mine encroachment and whatever, they would be here long after us. Yeah. Um, yeah, but these are the true, true. When you're talking about Bahamian endemics, you're talking about those real, true, true Bahamians. And that's exactly what those iguanas are. And if I could touch on this, I know we hadn't talked about this before, but I had an episode a while back with Shannon, if you remember, talking about how one of our tourist attractions are these iguanas in the Exuma Keys and and I really got to stick it to some of these tour companies because they feed them grapes, right? Could you just touch on that? Why are grapes bad and what is better? If you have to, have to, right? Quote, unquote, feed these animals. Why are grapes bad and what's a better option? So grapes are terrible for rock iguanas, for iguanas, because one, they have a high sugar content, which has a negative effect on the um on the animal's digestive system. And also a lot of times those grapes drop on the floor. So they're ingesting the grape and they're ingesting the sand, which leads to impaction in their gut. They can't poop. And if you can't poop, you're gonna die. So basically that's that's what this is. So um, from, the, from a conservationist BNT, Bahamas National Trust perspective, we don't really condone the feeding of wildlife um, native animals should be left alone to go and forage for themselves, but that can get very tricky because, well, a lot of conservation organizations, they set up bird feeders. Oh my gosh. And if you set up bird feeders, that kind of, that kind of throws things a little off whack, I guess. Yeah. Um, so what I would recommend though, if, if in the event that you are a tour guide, I understand. I totally get it. You trying to make some money. You have a nice, uh, um, you have a nice uh, feature, which is the iguanas 
people want to see it they're really cool with it and stuff like that if you are going to do that you should try and stick to us to as native as possible there are lots of fruits that are in season throughout the year that you can feed the iguanas that are native to the bahamas they include things like darling pluck they include things like um uh patch palm fruit stable palmetto fruit um uh what else sea grapes cocoa plum all of these types of fruits are native and they are better for the animal than uh grapes right pigeon plum is great for for rocky iguanas they also eat native leaves and and flowers and stuff like that so um i would say that if you are interested if you are a tour guide operator you may want to just learn a little bit more about the native plants that we have here which ones are in fruit and which ones would be best for the animals and then stop dropping them things on the floor stop dropping fruit on the floor for them buggers to eat them poor iguanas can't we cannot be doing that they cannot yeah. not be eating sand okay um so that's my personal view on it plant feed them native and it's better for them it's better it's actually better for the environment as well because they can poop out them seeds and seeds can turn into native vegetation All so right. if you're going to okay. deal with that do go native just as as much as you can possibly can as much as you possibly can go native right and i do have another question that someone asked me earlier this week and i thought it'd be perfect to ask you so i hope i'm not putting you on the spot again they found a turtle, and I can't tell if it's, you know, the red-eared Cat Island slider, or, and I know that we have, like, a hybridized version of it, and I think there's also an invasive version of it, but they found it, and they were like, well, Lashanti, you know, what what could I feed them? I, I give them grapes, and I was like, ah, <laughs> Why would you feed it grapes? So if you could, if you do know, and if you don't, it's fine, because I know I'm putting you on the spot with this. What should that person do in regards to feeding this beautiful little turtle? And it's not even that little. It's literally about this big. It's a female. Yeah. So, so we're, are we talking about, if we're talking about the sliders, mm -hmm. the sliders are, even though they could be primarily vegetarian, they are opportunistic and they will eat whatever they can, whatever you give them. Like grapes. Um, I still would say try your best to just feed them um, native fruits as much as you possibly can. Um, and uh, the, the issue is that uh, New Providence is just loaded with hybrids. Um, it's not like when we go to Eleuthera and you see a full, uh, a pure breed, um, uh, a Cat Island slider, or go to Cat Island and see a full breed Cat Island slider. These are hybrids because people, and if we're talking about wildlife trafficking, wildlife smuggling, and all that kind of stuff, there's another aspect to it. And that is that people are importing, uh, they're, bring, yeah, they're bringing in animals incognito uh, um, into the country. Um, some of it is intentional, others is unintentional. But for the ones that are intentional, they bring these animals into the country. These animals are very small. A baby turtle is a very cute little thing. So like about well, that's big or something like that. So they're really, really cute. And everybody loves babies until the babies grow up and develop attitudes and they start biting you and that kind of thing. And so <laughs> what you're, going to do, you're going to think that you're doing a good job by releasing these animals into the wild. When you do that, you just cause you cause the potent uh, a whole bunch of new problems for the ecosystem and for us. 
these non-native animals can be carrying diseases. Right now, the reason why we're on quarantine right now, right, why we have to wear masks all over the place now yeah. is because of the bushmeat trade and um, how COVID, coronavirus, was being transported through bats, which are vectors for a lot of nasty diseases. And so people have been eating bats and that kind of thing, and stuff has started to spread. And then you have the whole thing with um, other diseases. Like a few years ago, dogs were carrying distemper, and people were transporting dogs from New Providence to islands like Andrus and Eleuther and stuff like that. And then their dog, people's dogs, were dying. These animals were not properly inspected, and people just go ahead and they do what they what they want to do. You don't want to do stuff like that. When you bring in animals into the country, exotic animals into the country, you do not know what their bio. You may not know what their biology may be. You may not know what their uh, what diseases that they may be carrying, and you just put you just threaten our biodiversity as well as our health. Possibly last year we had a big killing toad outbreak again. Where did those killing toads come from? a population from most likely from florida that came in on plants or veg other vegetation or something boom yeah no problem so right oh man so just to get us a bit back on track right so what can the average bahamian and i say average in the sense that someone who's not obviously in the environmental sector or in conservation what can they do to help you know, combat this um, wildlife trafficking issue that we have, whether it be the exporting or the importing, like you just pointed out, like what can, what can someone do to help kind of fight that? Well, one, um, if you are interested in a pet, the first thing you should do is learn as much about your pet as possible. There are laws in place in this country in which you are not allowed to have certain animals without documentation, without permits, and stuff like that. And uh, um, you can be fined if you're not careful. So one, learn about the biology of your pet. Learn about how fast do they grow, how many offspring that they can produce. Can they produce asexually, which means they do not need a partner, because that can be a real problem in the long term. Yes. Um, another thing that you can do is if you do have pets, like non-native pets, like your cats and dogs, you want to keep them on a leash or keep them in your house because they are, especially house cats, are one yeah, of the cats. biggest, most dangerous, invasive animals in the world. So you want to keep them on a leash. You want to try and abide by the laws of the country. If you are saying that you want, let's say you wanted to import or export conch. Um, let's say you want to export a thousand pounds of conch. I know that's small, but whatever. But, and you write that on your export uh, documentation, but you ended up catching and trying to export 1500 pounds of conch. What you're doing is smuggling. People don't realize that, but on your export permit, it says a thousand pounds, but you put 15, you, you put on 1500 to get more profit. That's a form of smuggling. Okay. Yeah. So following and abiding by the laws um learning about the biology of your pets keeping your animals on leashes um and not releasing animals in the wild um non-native animals in the wild are good examples of ways in which you can help combat that and also if you see somebody who may be doing something that you may find questionable don't hesitate to uh contact the local authority and let them know because People have tried to sell me Bahamian animals, 
I had a guy who tried to who tried to sell me an American Kestrel. You. I have people who tried to sell me Bahamian boas. <laughs> yeah, right. And I had people who who called me saying that there are persons who are out there trying to sell Bahamian animals to foreigners. And so there's some things going on in this country, um, but everybody can play, can uh, everybody can be a conservationist. And if they really love their Bahamian animals, their Bahamian wildlife, then what they can do is just call the local authorities. I recommend them um, getting the Department of Environmental Protection and Planning app yes. on their phones or, or whatever, and just uh, sending information to uh, DEP, Environment of Environmental Planning Protection, mm -hmm. um, just so that they know that stuff like this is happening. And let's do our, whatever we can to curb these behaviors that are happening. And also, we need to continue to educate enforcement agencies. Edu enforcement agencies need to be more and more aware of the wildlife that we have here. Everything is just not about conch, grouper, crawfish, and sea turtles. We have animals here that can fetch tens of thousands of dollars on black markets, like our iguanas, like our snakes. Um, and so they get educated and, and just asking the judicial system, hoping that the judicial system can get into the habit of um, mm -hmm. pushing for more wildlife enforcement um, in this country. But um, just to say again, I am glad that the government is starting to make strides in that direction. The Rob Arms Defense Force has been doing a great job with their, we're trying to enforce um, anti-trafficking law uh, uh, regulations and stuff. And then also our airport has now gotten into um, starting to keep an eye out for persons who may be trying to uh, smuggle plants and animals uh, in and out of the country. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think you've also been a part of helping train, like, you know, some of the customs officers um, in that and just understanding what are some of the key things to look for, even just, I don't know, some of the behavioral traits or just some common things that these like smugglers have in common for um, these wildlife trafficking cases. So thank you so much for all your hard work and dedication. I think you are definitely one of those important type of people that we need in our country that that one, love the creepy crawlies, right? Because that's the very first thing we started with. Centipedes, uh -huh. I know, and, and I only recently, as much as I respected snakes, Scott is the reason I started actually liking snakes. I, mm. I love them as, as Bahamian creatures, you know, but who mm. boy. <laughs> oh, so just a note, I know I'm not expecting everybody to love snakes. I, I don't expect that at all. But if you can just respect them enough that you won't kill them, then that'll be great. I think that in the last few years, um, we have done, we've been doing a great job at curbing people's desires to kill a snake. So now you have people who are actually defending snakes as opposed to 10 years ago where they'll be like, but you see that big snake, but you chopped that, but so it's like, nah, bro. Now everybody's like, yeah, but snakes, they kill rats and they eat rat and things like that. So we ain't want to kill them. And then with our Nassau snake rescue team, uh, we, are doing great, we are doing as much as we can, I should say, in helping to remove these snakes because you should relocate, not exterminate our snakes. Okay? Oh, I like that. Relocate, not exterminate. Um, and, and that's powerful because I definitely have seen a change ever since you started doing your snake handling workshops too. 
because I do believe that there are a lot of Bahamians, you know, that we talk about, like they're on the fence, right? They're not at the point where they want to just go and chop a snake, but they're just at the point where they don't really even know, you know, well, how, if I do see a snake, how do I deal with that? And Scott, kudos to you again, right? Thank you so much for even facilitating those workshops and kind of breaking that barrier for people who have been afraid. Unfortunately, I haven't been to one yet, so I still don't know how to like, you know, like I had someone ask me the other day, like, hey, I have a snake in my house. Can you help me? And I'm like, I can point you in that direction though, but me one, I can't help you. So I will definitely make sure shoot that link to the snake rescue um, Facebook page where we finally started to get this awareness, right? Like you don't have to kill the snake. If it's, if you're that scared, if it's bothering you, which I mean, you should be happy it's there, right? I mean, that's showing you a sign of the fact that you probably have rats in near or around your house. Yep. This, oh man, this, this Facebook page, I even, I'm on it. And I even just see when people just shoot it and it's so responsive. You have everyday Bahamians who live in these areas that are very happy, very happy. And even kids, I think you actually had a post where you had a kid who even was very happy to tell his dad, Hey, come and take me. I know what I need to do to yeah. rescue this snake. So yeah. shout out to that. I don't know if there are any in the near future. I thoroughly plan on attending the next one. So please, when you have that next one, let me know. And yeah, you've done so much great work for not even just the Bahamian people, just these Bahamian animals that we have that, like you said, these are the types of things that the Bahamians are typically scared of for our superstitious reasons, like the snakes or the devil or owls even. Like I recently found out people's fear about owls and yeah. it blew yeah. my mind. Like people want to kill them. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And, and they want to kill them because they feel like it's a sign of, of death. death. And, and it all crazy things and and while i respect people's beliefs i think you always have to kind of base your things in like god wouldn't have created these creatures if they didn't have a purpose right so all right so shout out to you for that and i know there are so many young bahamians or even just young people in general or older people as well i'm not going to discriminate against the adults who might just be interested in some of the things that you do and that you talk about so what would you say to somebody who is interested in being a naturalist like yourself how would you inspire even just the youth who see you every day handling snakes and want to do this as their career? Well, one, um, I don't think I do anything really that special other than um, I just like to spend my time outside. I love the outdoors. And so my the first thing I would mention to people is um, start reading, but definitely go outside and just enjoy nature. It will come if you enjoy nature you will, and you start appreciating the wildlife outside and just observing and even getting like a little book like these and just start documenting stuff that you may see beyond the way of being a great naturalist, you know, and then you work to help to preserve and conserve species. You don't go and kill everything that you see um, and stuff like that. And, you know, there are a lot of, of um, information out there on these animals and more information coming out now on these animals that um, you may ex you may be interested in. And so working with national, working with Bombs National Trust, um, becoming a member so you could go on these tours and so you can experience national parks and really appreciate the fact that these national parks are indeed protecting the animals that we call true, true Bahamians, those endemics. So by helping those national parks, um, you help us out by by joining the BNT and um, visiting national parks. You help us to continue to do the work that we do, which is managing the national park system, protecting those animals that we love so much. And spreading the awareness. I think 
Primeval Forest is still my number one park in New Providence. The retreat, yes. don't get me wrong, and you at the retreat right now, it's great. But being in the Primeval Forest, which FYI is now open on Saturdays, I think from nine to four, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's it's like a once not even a once in a lifetime experience because you can go again become a member so you can go for free because you're mm -hmm. gonna want to go multiple times this park it takes you into like it almost feels like you step into like a different time in Bahamian mm -hmm. history right and I've, I've seen the little fossils on the wall I saw a conch shell in the wall right which which That's just right. shows you the rich culture and and just amazingness right of the Bahamas so definitely for anyone listening if you haven't been yet primeval forest Managed by the Bahamas National Trust is open on Saturdays, 9 to 4, as well as Bonefish Pond National Park. That is also another environment that you need to check out if you haven't yet. The retreat, I'm pretty sure, is open throughout the week. I don't know the, if the normal schedule hours are 9 to I think, 4. Yeah, I think it's about that. I think probably yeah. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. Okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is 9 to 4 for the retreat, which is in the middle of the urban city, right? And so before I jump to final thoughts, I did see a question um, and it was about raccoons, right? How healthy is the raccoon population here and are they endangered? I know what you're about to say, hit them with the facts, right? Raccoons, as cute as they are, they um, are. Okay, so. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I, know, I know people like raccoons, but one, raccoons are not native to the Bahamas. They are a... Uh, problem on the islands. Remember those rocky iguanas that we were talking about that were smuggled? Yep. Well, there was once upon a time when one feral raccoon got on the key with those iguanas and almost wiped them out. One raccoon. By the time that raccoon was removed from the key, there were less than 200 of those rocky iguanas left. The, rock, the raccoon was taking them out and eating them. Okay, the population has since bounced back to um, close to 2,000, I believe. Um, but all it took was one raccoon on one key to go and destroy and almost wipe out an entire um, uh, subpopulation of our endemic rock iguanas. So um, rock raccoons were introduced in the Bahamas in like the 1700s. Um, and then they were, and so now they're on New Providence, they're on Grand Bahama, they're on uh, um, Eleuthera, I believe they're also on Abaco. I gotta confirm that. Um, but yeah, they have um, spread to a lot of these different islands, and they are a threat to our native biodiversity, and they're super smart. So um, maybe washing their hands before they eat, bro. Yeah. Yeah, they're sensing, <laughs> they're sensing the things, that, the food that they have in their hands, special um, stuff on their hands help them to sense the food, whatever. They are cute, but yeah, I am not a big fan of them, unfortunately. Understood. Totally understood. Raccoons are one of those types of species that I think Bahamians don't realize are not supposed to be here. Like the Casarina trees that broke my ankle, but we're not going to, I digress. Oh. Listen, I hate Casarino, but anyway, <laughs> we, uh, I think there was, right. So where is Primeval Forest? Let the people know. Where can they go to get to Primeval Forest? Okay, so Primeval Forest is located out out west by um, near Albany. 
Um, I could send the link. I, I don't remember all of the directions directly to get there, unfortunately, yeah. out of my head. But definitely, I could send that information to you guys. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I it's out west. Yeah, yeah, I put the, I saw Perigo Forest had a Facebook page. I quickly popped it in, but it's anyone who's listening, if you're interested in figuring out where it is, just go as west as you can and you'll start <laughs> seeing the signage. Frank, off mm -hmm. of Frank Wilson Highway, or if you come up the Laipiki Hill and then you make the left into South Ocean, you'll start to see the signs highlighting Primeval Forest. There is a parking lot there. It's a very safe area. And I would highly, I actually think I might hit Primeval Forest this week, honestly, because I yeah. love Primeval Forest. So, Me too. Yeah. I highly recommend, I highly recommend visiting Primeval Forest if you have not visited it as well. It is uh, my favorite national park. Mm -hmm. um, and I visited a, a number of national parks across the country, but I think Primeval Forest still would be my favorite um, national park. Right. And I know I see someone asking if it's safe. Yes, if you go on Saturday. Absolutely sure. safe. And it's gate, it's fenced um, and Park everything. So security. you don't have to worry about nothing. And they have trails and everything. So you don't have to, you don't have to worry about anything. Safe, fun for kids and adults. So I would yeah. encourage everyone to go. And I know I see we have, shout out to Raquel, <laughs> that if you want to get involved with the Bahamas National Trust to support people like Scott, right, who are doing these amazing things for our country, for all of us, right? All of we, right? Definitely either become a member, become a guardian, donate to the Bahamas National Trust to help people like Scott get the work done that we need to get done to make our country a better place as far as environmental concerns go. So... I have the link up there. It's also in the comments for anyone's interested. And I will use this time. Scott, give us some final thoughts. Like if you had to say anything right now based on what we've been talking about, because I know there's a lot of things, to the behaving people, what what would be like a final thought that you'd like to give to people listening, even Bahamian or people just visiting the Bahamas, non-Bahamian residents, anyone? What would be a final thought for you? Um, I would say that you don't necessarily have to be working for an NGO to be a conservationist. A conservationist is anybody who is interested in the environment and willing to do stuff to help to protect and conserve it. You could be a web designer and you could help or a graphics designer and you could design wonderful flyers and posters about Bohemian wildlife and why you shouldn't kill this animal or that animal. You could be somebody who just has a beautiful yard and you maintain it and you uh, plant native trees and stuff like that. You could be uh, anybody, you know, anybody can become a conservationist and, and help to preserve um, our wildlife. Remember, there's these islands, this archipelago of over 3,000 islands, keys and rocks, not 700. I was about to say, say it again, 3,000. Yeah, is unique and everybody who lives here can contribute to the well-being of our country. So you don't need to worry about, you don't have to say, oh, NGOs are responsible for this. No. If you see that there's a problem, you can address that problem too. Right. And you can help us do the work that we're doing, which is have to conserve and protect our wildlife. Which, I mean, and that's so powerful. Like I literally, I held a beach cleanup yesterday. I'm not sure if you, I know you were traveling. Mm -hmm. um, with the Cat Island Conservation Initiative, as well as Dr. Antonino Davis from Sinus and Perspective, and representing YME was Karen Mullings, where we had this, we cleaned up some trash, right? From just along the canals in Coral Harbor, we only really got to a small patch, right? Yeah. But if you can just quickly speak on how important that is, not only for marine environment, 
but also for our terrestrial environment. People are dumping glass bottles, plastic bottles, furniture, appliances. Like that is so detrimental to our environment. And you can be a conservationist by simply either participating in these cleanups or donating things to help with these cleanups. But Scott, what are some of the like negative impacts that you've found on terrestrial animals when it comes to just people deciding to just dump their trash anywhere, whether it be a glass bottle or a fridge? Well, you dump a glass bottle out there, some child goes walking outside, running outside, cut their foot wide open, that requires stitches for the child. You dump all your garbage out there. What you do is you just made a habitat for invasive animals like rats, which do spread diseases. I remember a few weeks ago, a gentleman, he drank uh, a can. I, drank, I think he drank from a can and a rat peed on the top of the can. He ingested it and he lost both of his legs because the rat had bacteria in it that almost killed him. Yes. Yeah. And so when you decide to be nasty, nasty and throw them things in the bush and you think that it ain't was a problem and then also some of the materials that you may throw paint and that kind of thing that goes right down into the water table a lot of bahamians are still using groundwater as their water source they're not using the city water that is regularly purified and stuff like that and so what you do is you you help to contaminate that water thereby helping to make other people sick um you can make the environment a vector for diseases um and you just destroy uh an ecosystem so please don't do that just carry the stuff to the the proper facilities and just and 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 deal with it that way please exactly and i think the new providence ecology park i think is what it's called now aka the former dump you can put your dump and trash and garbage whatever you want to call it there for free mm-hmm. you don't have to come out in my neighborhood of coral harbor deep in the west in these random bush patches along the southern coast of the island and in the pine forest and in the pine forest to dump your trash it's free take it to the dump take it to the new province ecology park they will dispose of it properly enough to where you don't have to pollute these areas yes. so being a conservationist again is as simple as even if you don't get into the type of work that scott does or that i do I does, I do. <laughs> you can participate in this island cleanup initiative and, and they will be coming out every month. I hope to see Scott come out there one day because we did see a centipede yesterday and I was like, no way, I'm gonna kill it, but I ain't in it. Like, <laughs> it's, I always love, because like I said, we did have Dr. Davis out there and it's so great when I have people like you out who understand, because you know I suck at terrestrial, who have this knowledge of the terrestrial environment. So while you're cleaning up around these people, you were there as my free resource to educate people about these things. Like yeah. why, what is a centipede and why does it act the way it does? Look at this bird. What type of bird is this? Look at this tree. This is native. This is invasive. Like, and then just, it's like that learning experience that happens when you are helping true blue conservationists as you do conservation work. So definitely for anyone listening, it's very easy to get involved or to donate if you can't spend the time, but Scott, thank you so much. I will open it up again. If you have like maybe a one sentence, quick impact statement that you would give to Bahamians right now on anything you think is very potent and important to talk about. Um, <laughs> out of my head, I would just, uh, uh, I guess I'll reiterate a, a quote from, from BNT, which is Bombs National Trust. Mm-hmm. We manage national parks to protect your future or protect our future. And so you help us and we help do what we, natu- what we do, which is help to protect and conserve the environment. 
nothing awe-inspiring, but yeah. And if I could quote Rodney Munker, powerful. <laughs> this is powerful. <laughs> so thank you so much. I don't see any more questions in the comments. Scott, it's been so amazing having you on the show finally. I'm so happy that you were able to come out and spend some time with me on this Sunday afternoon. Thanks for having me. Hope to have you again. We're about to do some bird tagging, some snake handling. We in it to win All it. All right. All right. I'm All right. interested. I'm ready. So I am here for it. All so right. Thank you, everyone who's been watching. Scott, again, a million thank yous because I, I've always been so inspired by you. And I'm sure many Bahamians are as well. You've definitely shown that there is so much more to being a Bahamian living in the Bahamas than going and being a doctor or working in a hotel or in the bank. You can do something that is very passionate and very impactful for not just yourself, but the environment and the people, Bahamians who live here. So everyone, don't forget, the ocean is not what separates our beautiful archipelago, it's what connects us. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Siren Sundays, and I hope to see you next time and have a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Thanks again, Scott. You have yep. a great Sunday afternoon. Bye, Take everyone. Care, Take care, Ajanti. All right, you too. All right.